welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. Luke chapter 5. Uh, if, if you have a Bible, you're going to need it today because we're going all over the place. I have seven points, which that's very rare for me. And I've already given you three of those. No, I have seven new points, um, and we'll get to that. But Luke chapter 5, it says this. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and uh, to be healed uh, and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke records this moment in Jesus' career as a, as a rabbi where he has significant success. Uh, he preaches his sermon, crowds begin to, f- uh, his message on the kingdom, crowds begin to follow, he heals people, and right before this moment, he heals a paralytic, I'm sorry, he heals a leper, and he tells the leper not to tell anyone about what has happened, and despite that, th- the news about him spreads, and what we see is Jesus regularly has this rhythm in his life where he sees success in output, He's, things are going great in his life. There's this growing crowd, but he will regularly withdraw and find solitude or lonely places to pray with and be alone. Verse uh, 12 of chapter 6, it says this. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. It says, I just think it's so fascinating. It says in verse 12 that Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. These are those moments that we pass over to get to the good stuff in the scripture that reveal more about Jesus' good stuff in his life than we think. Because what you see in Luke is Jesus prayed for wisdom and discernment. Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit and prays to resist temptation. Jesus was alone when his disciples asked, uh, was praying alone when his disciples asked, who do do people say I am? Eight days later, Jesus goes with John and Peter and James to the top of a mountain to pray. And while he was praying, is transfigured. Jesus prayed for Simon that he might have faith and not fail Only Luke tells us that Jesus prayed for those who were crucifying him and committed his spirit into the hands of the Father. What the gospel of Luke reveals about Jesus is Jesus is a praying Messiah. Jesus is seen praying in Luke more than all of the other gospels combined. So when we look at the real Jesus, who Jesus is according to the gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus was revealed as a man of prayer. And we talk about it because we think, yeah, that makes sense. But I was thinking this week as I was preparing to preach on this subject, if Jesus was God, if he is God, if he's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, why does he pray so much? Why does he spend all of that time? Does that, does that make sense? Like if you think you're like in the flow of the Spirit, why? Or like you are God, like why? (laughs) Why do you need to do that? And then, and then I was like, Well, it's not about why, but what is prayer then? And that's what I want to focus on. What is prayer? If Jesus was revealed to be a man who prays, then the church needs to be a praying church. And that's my only hope today is that you understand the necessity of prayer. But as we go, I have eight, seven, now it's growing. I got eight points. (laughs) 
and we'll go through them fast. But I want to answer this question, what is prayer? And invite you to be a praying person and for us to be a praying church. Number one, prayer is how we build meaningful relationship with God. Prayer is how you build meaningful relationship with God. It's developing an ongoing intimate relationship. I love what Dallas Willard says. Of course, another sermon with a quote. Dallas says this, I believe the most adequate description of prayer is simply talking to God about what we are doing together. That immediately focus the, focuses the activity where we, are, where we are, but at the same time drives the egotism out of it. Requests will naturally be made in the course of this conversational walk. Prayer is a matter of explicitly sharing with God my concerns about what he too is concerned about in my life. Did you catch that? It's about sharing the concerns that you have with God about your life that he too is concerned about. And of course, he is concerned about my concerns and in particular that my concerns should coincide with his. This is our walk together. Out of it, I pray. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. On one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. So what you have is a a question from the disciples. The, The disciples didn't ask Jesus in the scriptures, how do I cast out demons? How do I preach effectively to culture? They asked Jesus, how do I pray? Something about Jesus's prayer life was different that required the disciples to discern and ask the question or ask Jesus to teach them to pray and I think it's fascinating because the word that is used by Jesus throughout the scripture for the um, uh, addressing the 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 God of all creation the the uh, in uh, the in the unspeakable name Yahweh is the word Abba that when he teaches his disciples to pray he says father now scholars believe that when Jesus said the word father it was Abba which is the Aramaic word for dada or daddy it would have been the first word on every Jewish boy or girl's mouth as they're learning to speak and so we get the privilege of addressing this divine creator being in intimate relational terms Abba um that would have been seen as very offensive in the first century and to the point where scholars believe that the gospel writers had a hard time even writing that into the text. That was Jesus' favorite word for addressing God. But it is how we come to understand our relationship with him, that he, in fact, is a good, loving father. So Jesus teaches us that when we begin to pray, when we begin to build relationship Prayer is the love language of God. Prayer is quality time with God. And for all of you quality time people, you're like, I know exactly how to do that. <laughs> for those of us that like want acts of service or physical touch, it doesn't really compute the same way. Or it does, and it breaks down, unfortunately, because we want to bring our acts to service to God, but it doesn't work that way with God. He wants intimacy, he wants relationship, he wants heart connection, and he wants to be seen as a good and loving father. And that's really important. It's how we build relationship with God. Number two is prayer is learning to live out of your true identity, which is the beloved. 
What is prayer? Prayer is learning to live out of your true identity as the beloved. Romans 8 is a really frustrating passage for me for lots of reasons. Um, when I came to meet Bill for the first time when I was 19 years old and full of wisdom and, and knowledge, um, and then I lost all of it as soon as I started being a disciple of Pastor Bill, uh, he said I should read Romans 8 for a year, and I did. And this passage has always stuck with me. It says in verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit are, of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Can I get an Amen so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, which we've talked about before. It's a legal term for Roman adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. What's that that next line say? And co-heirs with Christ. So this is deeply theological, But at the root of it is simply this. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are now God's child. And it's through the Spirit that we develop this intimate relationship with God where our spirit cries out with God's Spirit, Abba, child, where there's this divine, intimate relationship as a little tiny child sitting on his papa's lap. That is where we form our identity as the beloved, where you learn not to perform or not to do anything out of works to prove your identity. You simply get to receive it. My children don't need to do anything to prove that they're my children. In fact, what this says is really offensive because it says you're heirs and co-heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. What that means is that you have the same right and authority that Jesus has as the good older brother that he is who shares his inheritance with you willingly unlike the older brother in the prodigal son story in Luke chapter 15. Do you realize that? That we're ushered into this family experience and prayer is the language of the kingdom and it's where we receive, where we learn to speak and live out of our true identity which doesn't get much farther than being the beloved. And Bill would say to me regularly and it frustrated me, you need to learn to live out of your belovedness for no good reason. And that's, that is what prayer does. It begins with intimacy and it moves us into true identity where we receive. When Jesus is baptized, the father says, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. He receives his identity before he begins ministry. He has the affirmation of the father before he could cast out a demon. He has the love of the father before he could preach a sermon. He has the the affirmation of his father's love before he does anything good. He receives that. How are you doing, church? When we come to prayer, we come to build relationship. When we come to pray, we come to receive our identity. When you pray, God meets with your true self. He can't meet with the false self that you project. That doesn't exist. He comes to love the true Darren, the true Amy, the true Alex. He comes to love you as you really are. When you come to pray, you receive your true identity. You experience your true identity, but also you experience God for who he really is. So all those false images of God that you carry into prayer life that cause you to plead and beg 
and, 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 and question whether or not he hears you. Those false or distorted images of God destroy your identity and destroy how you live and interact in the world. So when you come to the Father, you come to a loving Father. You come as the beloved, who's also a co-heir. That means you have rights, you have inheritance, you have access you guys know how powerful that idea is of inheritance? I don't have time to talk about it. I have six, six, five other points. But like, it's, it's amazing to think. Just reflect on that passage. Meditate on that passage if, if for a while to receive, to understand the significance of what prayer does as you begin to understand who you are. Okay, I'm gonna keep going through these. Are you guys good? I could just focus on that and then preach another time. Um, I, I just wanna say, like, you're, you're, you have access, you have inheritance. Let me just say this. Like, when you learn that you are a son of the king, when you learn that you have access, oh, I'm gonna, okay, I'm gonna tell a story. Have I told you the Aaron Palmer story in uh, playing golf in Saudi Arabia? Okay, so this is a story by Brendan Manning. Um, that, yeah, like you've heard that story. <laughs> I forgot, you've only been here for a few months. Okay, so, um, just kidding, I'm just kidding. So Aaron Palmer played exhibition games in Saudi Arabia, and I, I might get some of these facts wrong, so just Google it. Um, but, who knows what Google will tell you these days. But anyways, um, Snopes it or something like that. Uh, but he, he, he goes and plays golf and, and uh, does a rounding. And it's basically like he brings golf to Saudi Arabia. And the king was so thankful and impressed with Arnold Palmer's uh, experience and bringing the, you know, the, the golf game there and, and just wanted to honor him. So uh, a messenger said to Arnold Palmer that the king wants to give you a gift. And um, Arnold Palmer said, no, just being in your country, playing here has been a gift. And, the, and then the, the translator or the messenger eventually said, hey, look, it would be an insult to not receive a gift from the king. So Arnold Palmer said, yeah, why don't you have him give me a golf club? That would be amazing. And so the next day, a uh, messenger knocks on the door, hands him an envelope. In it, he opens up a note from the king, and it's a golf club. 18 holes, um, fountains, <laughs> staff. He dedicated and gave him a golf course, club. <laughs> Which Brennan Manning says beautifully, he says, what's the moral of the story? In the presence of a king, don't ask for small gifts. When you have access to inheritance, how do you live your life in response to who you really are? Number three, prayer is brutal honesty, vulnerability, and authenticity directed towards God. Prayer requires you to be real. It's brutal honesty, vulnerability, and authenticity directed towards God. Luke chapter 22. 22. It's somewhere between 22 and 24. <laughs> Verse 40, it says, pray. <laughs> we're going to get through this talk, I promise. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. He knelt and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heavens appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus prayed, and he prayed to the point where he was bleeding from his pores because of the anguish he was about to endure on the cross. And his prayer was very vulnerable, very real. 
if there's another way, God, take this from me. If there's another way other than the cross and what I have to go through, God, would you just make that possible? This is his prayer. I don't want to do what I have to do. This is going to, I mean, I would probably throw some profanity in there, some anger, some doubt, some questions, some fear, frustration, insecurity. I would throw every emotion that you have access to in the human condition and the spectrum of life is in that moment. And at the end of it, Jesus says, but not my will, your will. In the midst of being vulnerable and authentic and brutally honest, he's still willing to submit his life to be obedient to the Father. It's, it's a powerful reality to think about the type of depth your prayer life has access to. The Psalms, the majority of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Anger, frustration, kill our enemies, God. I, that's the type of raw relationship you can have with the Father. I was telling somebody recently about their grief. And I was like, man, if you don't deal with the what grief really is. If you don't grieve well, you won't recover. And for me, part of that process is bringing that anger towards God. Where the hell were you, God? And in seasons in my life, being at hospitals with my kids, praying prayers for people at their deathbeds and watching them die and then doing their memorial services and praying prayers and watching people get healed, wondering the dichotomy that I live in in the now and not yet reality of the kingdom. Why? What the? Where are you? All of that God can handle. In the same way that as a father, and I'm sorry for using, this is like the, I know like kids and, and parenting illustrations can be hard for some of us or difficult but my my son when he has serious emotions and he's frustrated and angry my job is not to reason him into my understanding of that situation he feels real things and my job as a parent is to come under that tell me how it feels to feel what you're feeling right now when they said that you feel this oh i i can't imagine what you're experiencing let me just embrace that that's what god wants to do with you wants to bring you into that space of intimacy of honesty he'll meet you where you are and so one quick side note by the way there are prayers that jesus prayed that did not get answered luke 22 he goes to the cross there was no other way and i just want to remind you that there are two things that the bible says god collects your prayers and your tears Number four, prayer is a way of living open to what God is doing in the world. So Jesus says, not my will, but your will. So he's posturing, he's positioning himself to live open to what God's wanting to do. Prayer is a way of living open to what God is doing in the world. So Jesus seeks discernment. He seeks wisdom. He prays to connect and and align himself with the Father's business. He prays for help. He prays for another way out. But ultimately, prayer is about being open to what God is up to. In John 5, verse 19, it says, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do nothing. He could do only what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does the son also does jesus learned to see what god was doing in the moment and i think he learned that through intimacy in prayer 
I believe Jesus exercises spiritual gifts. How did he know that the woman at the well wasn't married to her specific husband? I think it was given to him through revelation in the spirit. I think how did he learn to operate and only do what the, uh, the father was doing? I think it's intimacy with God, that you can learn to participate in God's activity in the world in your everyday life. This is his purpose in your life. Amen. That children, children, by the way, just because there's a prophetic word being spoken. It says in Amos that I gave children to you to be prophets and you didn't let them prophesy. Do you know that? One of the condemnations of Amos is that there were prophets being raised up in the next generation and they didn't let them prophesy. And there were Nazarites and then they gave them wine to drink. Side note why I feel so passionate about the next generation. Do you know what they're calling the generation that's born after 2010? The alpha generation. The restart. It's our, yeah, this is, I feel like it's our job to raise up the next generation. See, look at, they know, when we're, (laughs) no, keep, I I don't want to shut the mouth of a prophet. I'm hearing yes and amen right now. It's for those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. (laughs) We got to get the, get the microphone so it can be on the podcast. <laughs> Living open to what God is doing, learning to participate, learning to be, to navigate. I was going to say something about um, um, the children, but I forgot. <laughs> learning to be open to what God is doing. Um, I think it's so interesting because so many of us are closed off to the way of God. Or we don't realize how we are closing ourselves off to the way of God. That there are so clearly things in scripture that God does not want his people to participate in, but we do. And when we actively participate in the things that God does not want for our life, we are closing ourselves off to the way of Jesus in our life. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? We confess our sin to one another. You know what's going to happen over this fast? We're going we're gonna to realize how sinful we are, how angry, how frustrated, how much pain, how much hate is in our hearts. We're going to be irritable, and we're going to mistreat our spouse. I, I had an elder confess that to me right before this, and I was like, great, I did the same thing yesterday. Let's confess our sins to one another and pray because there's something going on. When we find ourselves stuck in old habits, confess and realign. That's called repentance. Just repent and move on. Because as, cause even in all of your sinfulness, when you are in the worst place that you can imagine, even in that moment, God loves you the same. Even in that moment, you are a co-heir with Christ because there's nothing you can do to position yourself to not be a co-heir with Jesus. That's the rest of Romans 8, by the way. Maybe some of you should stay there for a year. Canadian psychologist David Benner says, describes prayer as the soul's native language. Observing that our natural posture is attentiveness, uh, sorry, is attentive openness to the divine. He writes this in his book, Opening to God. I, I love this idea about learning to walk and discern and participate in what God is doing. Learning to be open to what God is doing in your everyday ordinary life. I love that because I studied improv growing up. For those of you that don't know, I was an actor. I know it's hard to imagine. I'm not very dramatic in any way. 
my stories are very dull. I sound like a mini Bill when I talk. And just kidding. Wait, that is, oh, oh. He's not going to listen to this. Don't worry. And I, I'm quoting one of our staff members who said, asked him if he was excited about preaching, and he says, I don't ever get excited. So, um, and like I said, I get excited about everything. So, I studied improv, and improv is the ability to create or perform spontaneously without preparation. So I was a part of a team that traveled and did this. I loved it. I studied theater. But there was a book by Patricia Madsen. It's a book called Improv Wisdom, and she's got a bunch of rules. One of them is just show up. Just show up is a rule for improv. Another one is to throw yourself in. Just throw yourself in, she says, and that will enable you to live or to create great performances if you show up, if you throw yourself in. And those are, that's a philosophy for life. Can I just say it? Just show up. Throw yourself in. Side note, because I'm on this prophetic rant, for those of you that have expectations of community and you show up like this, waiting for it to be something that it will never be, you will destroy community. Bonhoeffer says it's those who have ideals of community that destroy the community itself. You don't love the community for what it is. You want it to be something it's not. And when you love it, you'll get the thing you desire. When you want it to be something it's not, it will never get there. You will destroy the community you long for. Show up, all that to say, throw yourself in. But the main thing is, no, rule number one is just say yes. She says, in improv, the best improvisers go with the flow of whatever their partners are doing. The worst improvisers reject their partner's offers and try to mold scenes to their own taste. Saying yes is about supporting someone else's dreams and ideas. It lets you share control instead of trying to keep it. Now, let's apply that to our walk with Jesus, our relationship in prayer. Say yes. Say yes to the things that he's bringing into your life. If he nudges you in a particular direction that requires you to take a risk, just say yes and see what happens. The worst thing that can happen in most cases is you get rejected, which isn't that big of a deal. I've shared plenty of stories of rejection in my life when having words of knowledge for people and they, they don't work out. But I've also had those nudges where it led to some amazing fruit. And so say yes, learn to operate with God by engaging in what he's doing in the world. Sometimes a no or closed door is actually a yes to something great God has in store for you. So learning to embrace no's from God and closed doors are just as important as embracing yes. We're learning to discern God's will as we learn to operate with him. Is this okay? Sometimes we need to kick that door down, all right? Which is about how we extend. That's petition prayer, which we'll talk about in a second. But other times we're learning that we live in a world of distraction and we're not hearing God's voice clearly so sometimes he is gently guiding us through those closed doors but learning to be open to him is important for what prayer really is all right three more and we're good number five can you guys handle three more i'm just curious i'm just getting you guys got real quiet blood sugars dropping daniel fast eating nuts this morning that's about it and raw kale and spinach hopefully it's you have a better um meal plan than i do no i'm not eating that Number five says this, prayer extends God's way of life on earth through your life. 
So what, why did Jesus pray? Well, what, pr- what is prayer? We're talking about that. One of the things you have to recognize is prayer extends God's way of life on earth. In Luke chapter 11, verse two, when they, the disciples are asking Jesus, teach us how to pray, he says, say, Father, and then he goes on and he says, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says, your kingdom come and will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which assumes that there are places on earth where God's kingdom and will are not being done or reality quite yet. We live in a world where God's will is not being done fully yet. There are places where his will and kingdom are evident, but there are other places where we need to pray his will and kingdom into existence. We need to partner with him in bringing that renewal and redemption to those places. What do I mean by that? Well, if God's kingdom was present everywhere, there would be no suffering. There would be no death, disease. There would be no slavery. There would be no abuse. There would be no poverty. That's God's will. Those things are eliminated. We live in shalom. So what Jesus says as he teaches us to pray is we, when we pray, we begin to pray the prayers that Jesus would pray if he were us in this situation. We begin to extend the God life, the way that God desires life to be, life marked by shalom and restoration and healing and joy and peace. We bring those things into reality by being there and asking God's kingdom to come. How do we bring God's kingdom with us? Well, when we're operating in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we have access to the inheritance of the heavens. Real quiet. This is not something you've learned, huh? This is not something you're actively participating in. Do you re- when I go on walks with my dog, I have a dog, and his name's Chance, and he's great. Um, all the responsibility came to me. All of the responsibility. Promises were void and empty. When I walked the dog or when I walked my kid yesterday, I was walking up um, by a street, and I, I don't know what happened, but I just learned that when, when I walk places as a follower of Jesus, living, believing in faith, that what I believe, what I say has power because of what Jesus says in the scriptures, that I can't just go on walks. All of my walks are prayer walks. People are like, let's go on a prayer walk. Well, do you mean we should just be, let's just walk. Because as we walk, we should be thinking, God, what do you want for this neighborhood? What do you want for this business? This 700th Starbucks that I've walked into today or this year, whatever, what do you want for this place? Do you bring blessing and peace? Do you extend God's way of life by being there? Because you've been actively trained to live in communion with God where he's gonna whisper thoughts and dreams and visions for this place. That's, what he's, that's why prayer is so powerful. We think in situations where the world is, is, is massive and big and destructive and influential that we have no power, but we are co-heirs with Christ. We are sons of the beloved. We are the beloved. We are sons and daughters of the king, excuse me. So we get, get to participate in God's strategy of renewing all things through prayer. Six, prayer is how we get things done in the kingdom. How, what, how do we get things done? We get things done through prayer. In Luke chapter 18, um, it says this, then Jesus, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So let me just stop there. So Jesus tells his disciples, you should always pray and not give up. 
he tells the followers of Jesus that we should always pray and not give up. We should not lose heart or be discouraged is another translation of that, that phrase, not give up. We should keep on praying. Keep on keeping on in praying. This is expected of us because we are to be intercessors. This, is this, this idea of petition or intercessory prayer, it comes from this parable. And, and here's this rabbinic teaching that Jesus gives in verse two. He says, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, this is the uh, unjust judge talking. He says, even though I don't fear God or care uh, what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, this is Jesus, listen to what the unjust judge says. And so he says, and will not God bring about justice for those he has chosen, who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So this parable, a bunch of characters, unjust judge, he's unrighteous, he lacks compassion, doesn't care about what people think or God, the widow begging for justice. The judge gives her justice because he doesn't want to be bothered by her persistent nagging. The rabbinic argument is the lesser and greater. If it's true of the lesser, it will be true of the greater. And in this situation, God is righteous. God is compassionate. God brings justice. Exodus says God hears the cry of the oppressed. And what Jesus is saying, God is not like the unjust judge. Of course, you will be given justice. But what's the process for the solution? Persistent prayer. And he's saying, church, When Jesus comes back, will he find a church full of faith going for it in prayer? Or will he find no faith in the church, essentially? Prayer is not simply petition, as Donald Blush says, but strenuous petition. It is active pleading with God. It consists not merely in reflection on the promises of God, but in taking hold of these promises. I love that. It's like, it's when Moses argues with God and changes God's mind. He's, he's saying, but your word says this. I love doing this. When I take the word and I bring it to God and say, this is what your word says. It says for those, uh, bless, uh, he says, those who leave fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and sisters, homes and fields will not fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come. A hundred times as much for those of you that have left work and fields and homes and family to pursue the work of the kingdom. God promises a hundred times as much. Now this is where the prosperity gospel goes south. But it says in his word, God will give you a hundred times as much in this present age and the age to come. I love taking that and saying it's got to be at least a hundred percent. A hundred times as much, God. A hundred times as much. Taking the word, knowing that God is faithful to his word and bringing it to him. Intercession, this is what Walter Wink says. He says, intercession is spiritual defiance of what is in the name of what God has promised. Intercessors visualize an alternative future to the one apparently faded by the momentum of current forces. 
Prayer infuses the air of a time yet to be into the suffocating atmosphere of the present. History belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Even a small number of people firmly committed to new inevitability on which they have fixed their imaginations can decisively affect the shape of the future tasks takes. These shapers of the future are the intercessors. What Walter Wink is saying is what this, this parable is insisting we do, that we keep on in our prayers, that we see the reality that is at stake and we say it can be different. And how do we get things done? Through prayer and petitioning, asking God to come in and break through. Are there things in life that you are holding on to that you need to bring to prayer, that you need to bring to God in prayer over and over again? Are there things in your family system that you want to change? Have you come to God over and over again in prayer? Are there things in Long Beach and Seal Beach in the workplace that you want to see culturally transformed? Have you committed to praying over and over again? I believe the next generation will flourish. I believe that the crisis we see with suicide, depression, anxiety, life expectancy dropping, I see all those issues as doorways of renewal and revival in the next generation. I believe God wants to change the script. He wants, to, he wants us as the church to see the world that we face that seems big and dangerous and challenge it and bring it upside down. He wants to take the strongholds, which we can identify, and flip it upside down because the enemy has no more power. It's, the devil's been stripped of power on the cross, but the sons of the king, the daughters of the king, are not living in their inheritance. They're not choosing to live for the sake of the world. They're choosing to live for the sake of their life, for their dreams, for their little tiny nuclear families. And I believe God wants to redeem culture and society through the church. But he's looking for a church to wake up, to pray audacious, loud, crazy prayers because our imagination's been infused with God's mind. And we go into places thinking, this is not a problem. We have the solution. It's like David and Goliath, brothers and sisters. Could you imagine? I want to see that moment. I'm going to get up to heaven or heaven's actually going to come here, and I'm going to turn on the Netflix TV of heaven to that moment when David's delivering lunch to his brothers, hearing the cries of the giant in the battlefield, demeaning the God Yahweh, and David going, what the heck is going on? I'll fight this beast. You're just a little shepherd boy. No, 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 I've been preparing For this moment, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with our God who is victorious. Don't give me your armor of the old way. I don't need the king's platform or armor. I have my shepherd's sling and my shepherd's outfit and five smooth stones, but I have God on my side. God is looking to infuse a generation to recognize the power of your prayers. But you've diminished yourself. You want to know, don't clap yet. You know what the enemy's done? This. It doesn't, he doesn't need to destroy your marriage to ruin your prayer life. He doesn't need to make you addicted to pornography to destroy your prayer life. Prayer life. He just gives you a phone with infinity, infinity in the pocket without boundaries and you no longer are effective in the world. He distracts you with your emotions being out of control, with conflict, and the enemy just destroys the fact that everywhere you go, God's kingdom is waiting to be ushered through your life. He wants your prayers to be effective and powerful, but you're not praying. 
Or if you do pray, you lose heart. You stop so easily. Well, he didn't come today. Persistent prayer over and over. Knock down the door so that the giants may be slayed. Point number seven. Prayer increases God's activity on earth. Prayer increases God's activity on earth. According to scripture, John chapter 14 says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. (laughs) Jesus expects the church to do, at the very minimum, the same works that Jesus did. It's not lesser works. It's at the very, because there's two arguments. Greater being more of them, because there's more of us that will do the works. At the end, or, or greater like quality. So quantity and quality is the debate. Quality, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he gave sight to the blind, he healed the sick, he casted out demons, he cleansed lepers, he raised the dead. So I don't know how you go from raising the dead in quality. That's a pretty miraculous thing, right? Would you agree? Although you could say that in Acts 19, we didn't see Jesus doing this. But in Acts 19, aprons and handkerchiefs that Paul touched would be taken to places and demons would shriek and come out of people and the sick would be healed. That's fascinating. What the scripture is saying though is that what Jesus expects at the very minimum is to do the same quality of miracles as we as individuals do more quantity as a church corporately. At the end of the day, are you living in a way where your prayers can be trusted with a yes? Jesus wants to train you to become the kind of person that whatever you ask in his name will be done. He wants to give you that power. He wants to train you in your asking and request that whatever you say has the power and authority of Jesus stamped on it. That's what living in the name means. That's how we increase God's activity on earth by learning to live in relationship with God in such a way that our prayer life is trusted with yes. I'll do that here. Yeah, let's, let's heal. Now, this this. I just want to move you into understanding that you need to be, um, we need to be a church who prays. We need to be a church who prays. Jesus prayed, and we are gonna be a church that goes after prayer. I wanna care about prayer as a church and recognize that there, we need intercessors in our church. So practically, this is me building the church in this moment. We have one person, Dory, is in this back little, cl- what? Tori back here. I was like, Tori's back here. She's not even listening. She's coming to this, uh, 11 o'clock. She is on her knees praying for this service. That room should be four times its size with 17 more people like her praying each service because we believe in the power of what the work that's happening on a Sunday morning at the Garden Church. Every gathering we have should be f- laced. We have a pre-service prayer with, I don't know, a dozen or so plus people. It, we should be a church that begins to recognize the power of our prayers, that when we pray, things are gonna happen. Coincidences are gonna happen. Because I wanna see all the other things, healing, justice, forgiveness, signs and wonders, miracles. But I think it's all gonna come from a posture of prayer. Um, so, 
I, I'm going to give you quick practical things and then we'll end. I'm just going to put them up there. How to begin praying. So if you're not praying, here's what you can do. How to pray. Start with gratitude. You want to remember, this is about relationship with God. So if you want to start a prayer life, I write down gratitudes every morning. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for this. Because what you see in Romans chapter one is gratitude leads, uh, ingratitude leads to imprisonment and immorality. So in our spiritual journey, gratitude opens us up to God. When you pray, you cannot be arrogant. Prayer, arrogance is dismissed the moment you're full of gratitude. It requires humility. Number two, pause and open yourself up to God. So when you pray tomorrow morning, when you wake up early, you start with gratitude. Pause and open yourself up to God. So for me, I'll start with gratitude. I literally will stop writing in my journal because I, I, I'll talk about journaling in a second. And I'll say, God, would you speak to me today? I open up my hands and I breathe and I slowly wake up with my cup of coffee. And I say, uh, Lord, would you, uh, oh, I open myself up to you. Holy Spirit, fill me. And then I read scripture. How do you pray? Start with reading scriptures. You can stay in the Psalms, read a chapter, read a couple of verses. Center your mind on the word. Number four, journal your prayers. I find journaling to be the most effective way of praying for me. I have a hard time. Uh, I have friends that do walks. I have friends that can talk to God for hours and hours and hours. For me, I've always journaled. That's been a tool I learned when I was 19. And, and just be, number five, this is the most important for me, is be specific. I believe God's gonna answer prayers, crazy prayers in our church, but you have to be specific. Somebody was asking me recently, could you pray for a miracle in our finances? And my my. I get this all the time. They ask for something for me to pray and I'm like, no, I can't do that nebulous prayer. I need specifics. What does the miracle look like? I want to imagine that miracle in my mind, in my heart. I want to write down, is it a number? What's the miraculous number? Great, I'm going to pray that and then 10 times as, that much. I have a friend who uh, prayed for his, his uh, income to uh, quintuple in a year. That's very specific. Would you agree? That's five times as much, I think. Is that right? And it happened. And then somebody who's a spiritual leader said, why didn't you ask for 10 times as much? And he's like, oh yeah, good point. But brothers and sisters, get specific. What do you want to see happen in your life? Write it down, be specific. Then create space to listen. It doesn't have to be that long. Create space to listen. And let me just say the most, uh, after being specific, the most important thing is if you hear anything, respond with action. So if you're praying and God leads a person on your heart, write, that, write a prayer down for that person. Write a prayer down. If you're praying, God's directing you, do what he says to do. That's how you grow in your prayer life because you'll see things will happen and they'll accelerate as you move forward. So those are the seven points I have today with a lot of one-offs and you know, sprinkled some prophetic stuff in there. And of course, Dallas Willard. So let's stand and pray. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.